Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. You know, everywhere Jesus went, encounters that he had, things that he did all went contrary to what people expected, especially his disciples. One of those is in John chapter 4. I call it happy hour. Let's look. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour, that means noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, as you've likely been taught or heard, this was indeed pretty radical. Ordinarily, a rabbi at that time would not even acknowledge his wife if he saw her on the street. But here, Jesus began to minister to the lowest social outcast. Outcast? Yes. You see, the women typically went for water in the morning or evening, but this lady was there at noon. Once you hear her story, you'll understand that she probably had very few female friends. But that's where the gospel finds pay dirt. The together elite don't usually respond to its call. It is the sinner that can be saved, if you know what I mean. Unfortunately, the church corporately spends far too much time and resource trying to impress the unimpressible. Anyway, the dialogue began as, The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Keeping our focus on coming to faith in Christ, let's consider this woman's heart. To begin with, she's bluntly honest, and this is always the starting point on the road to salvation. Those who try to play an insincere or dishonest game of verbal dodgeball with God find him silent. But Jesus gave this woman a response that engaged her beautifully. When he said, living water, the original language is water having vital power within itself, the power to enjoy real life, fresh, strong, and powerful. That's no belly wash. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Note that her first inclination was to think that Jesus would draw this living water from Jacob's well. Her question was sincere, and like most all of us who believe, her initial understanding of Christ's words was foggy at best. She challenged him based on her limited tradition and a supposed link to the patriarch, 
It is much like those today who suppose that their salvation is somehow enabled by a loose relationship they share with someone religious. This is often because they think they must be good to go to heaven. That salvation must be earned. And they know they're not good enough. So riding on someone else's coattail, so to speak, is the only alternative. The passage continues. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. What the world offers, like Jacob's well did originally, can come easily and initially be a temporary thirst satisfier. But over time, it takes more and more effort. It gets tougher and tougher to slake that dryness in your soul. Finally, you can wonder if it's even worth all the effort for the momentary satisfaction. In contrast, Jesus spoke of a source that billows eternally with life a fountain that springs up or literally leaps. It's the same descriptive word used when Peter and John saw the lame man healed outside the temple in Acts 3, 8, who, after being healed, entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. As yet, she still didn't understand, but she recognized that this is what she wanted. Salvation has never been understood. If you're like me, there are fewer and fewer brain cells upstairs, and I'm grateful that understanding everything is not the key to eternal life. This woman only recognized that what Christ offered was way better than what she had. It goes on. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. There is no other way. There is no real conversion without conviction. Salvation is not simply an intellectual discovery. It is the humbling confrontation with your sin before a merciful and gracious Creator. That's why Jesus presented it to her. Now, I submit that this woman is not just an example of a sad story. Someone who, for whatever reason, went through five or six men. Rather, she typifies us all. But but hold on, you may think, I'm not that bad. But actually, you are. So am I. Even if your grandparents and parents were missionaries and you worked with Billy Graham for decades, the truth is that we are all as deeply in need of salvation as the dear woman in this story. Even the great apostle Paul concluded, quote, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's 1 Timothy 1.15. 
Notice also, Jesus didn't say, You've had five husbands, let's talk about husband number one, Sam, then we'll talk about why you left George in session two. Uh, Come next week, and in the third session, we'll talk about Pete. In session four, we'll discuss Harry. No, it didn't take Jesus five sessions to discuss the five husbands. He didn't delve into codependency or into the woman's past iniquities. Yes, Jesus revealed her sin, but he didn't revel in it. Big difference. I think it is dangerous for people who mean well to start reveling in the past sin of another, talking about it, exploring it, pursuing it. Jesus does not model this for any minister of the gospel or for any servant of the kingdom. He says, I know you're a sinner. You know you're a sinner. Now let's go on from there. Thanks, John Corson, for that. Well, it goes on. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Well, her perception of Christ is changing. We commonly think of a prophet as one who predicts the future accurately, but most literally, a prophet is one who speaks the truth. Now, this truth wasn't particularly secret. There were many who undoubtedly knew it, but how surprising it is sometimes for us to learn that God already knows our whole story. He knows it all, and yet he comes to us. Some say that her comment here was a theological dodge of sorts, like when you're sharing with someone about Christ and they say, well, who did Cain marry? Or can God make a rock so big he can't move it? But I don't agree. This woman's interest was sincere, and she, observing that Jesus had a prophet's insight into her life, posed a question that probably had really nagged her. Her experience and training led her to believe that something was amiss. She'd been taught one thing, and yet the truth was somehow elusive. Both the Jews and the Samaritans couldn't be right. This woman wanted to know the truth of the matter, even if it contradicted the traditions she'd grown up with. And this is an important point. A sincere desire for the truth is fundamental to growing in faith. So many Christians never progress in their spiritual walk because they stop desiring the truth. That's because it's very humbling, very humbling. The scripture continues. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. See, Jesus said, You don't see or perceive, and thus know, what you worship. And this isn't limited to the woman or the situation. Undoubtedly, Jesus is referring to the mongrel nature of the theological soup, if you would, the Samaritans believed. 
but it also speaks of the whole of fallen humanity. The truth is that everyone's life is an act of worship to someone or something, or whether it's to yourself, Satan, or the Son of God. Nevertheless, the vast majority of non-believers don't see it. At best, they are playing a dangerous game with eternal consequences. Sin has drastically contorted the perception. This woman wanted to see, wanted to know the truth, and he was staring her right in the face. From her sincere question came a liberating answer. God is not stoically sitting in the heavens listening to some and ignoring others. Rather, he's actively seeking out those who will worship in his spirit and with a true heart. Nothing feigned, no games, no mindless religious routine. Recall Jesus, it says, needed to go through Samaria as an illustration of what God is doing in this age, seeking those like this woman who want the truth and who will relate to him, worship him, literally kiss the hand in spirit and in truth. That's what the worship means. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. <laughs> At this point, this was a turning point. Note that she responded, I know, rather than we know. It became personal for her. Belief in Jesus Christ is nothing if it's not personal. It is never because your parents are believers or your spouse. In her statement, you can just sense this woman's anticipation of the glorious truth being revealed to her in her heart. She wasn't theologically savvy, but she knew she needed a Savior. To her, Jesus was first a Jew, then a sir, then a prophet. Here, she brought up the topic of a Messiah, not Jesus. At what point will you be satisfied with your relationship with Christ. Do you know you need a Savior? I submit that Jesus reveals himself to us to the degree that we desire to know him. The Bible goes on. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Ha! <laughs> you know, there's a water pot left behind every time the living water leaps forth in someone's heart. The things we once thought important, even vital, to satisfying our thirst are simply not our passion any longer. That's truly a happy hour. Now may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast and may you realize more of his grace today.